the season 9 finale of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, I'll be discussing season 9, episode 22, which is titled Kissing Ghani. The episode aired on May 15, 2003, and Lauren, what was going on that week 20 years ago? Well, first off, because this is how these seasons always go, I'm going to wish myself a happy 11th birthday because it would have been next week. So happy birthday, 11-year-old me. What a great year. Grand Theft Auto Vice City game developer Rockstar's follow-up to their landmark game Grand Theft Auto 3 releases for the PlayStation 2. Inspired by shows like Miami Vice and 80s gangster movies, the open-world third-person shooter debuted to near-universal acclaim and is widely considered to be one of the greatest games in history, to which I say, really? As someone who doesn't like Grand Theft Auto, it's fine, I'm biased. That's why it's always near-universal acclaim. Not everyone loves everything. And and I I will say, it doesn't age well. At all. Oh, ab- like, probably it, not. It, it ages like fucking milk. Like, I tried to go back Ugh. and play it uh, before those uh, Heartless remasters came out a few years ago. Uh, and that was bad. And then the Heartless remasters came out, and it was, like, slightly less bad, but still bad. Like, it ages pretty poorly, which is why I hope th- there's some, uh, there's rumors that the, the GTA 6 is going to have some sort of, like, vi- they might be returning to Vice City as a, a mm. setting. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely it's got the vibes. Like it has the vibes down cold. Like it is it's it's basically a a Miami analog in the 80s with all the soundtrack. Like it has probably my favorite GTA soundtrack of any absolutely any entry. Um I spent hours on this fucking game. Like I like wasted probably all of this is 2003. I'm going to say all of 8th grade, which would have been the following school year. All of 8th grade was lost to this game just completely every day after mm-hmm. school you get home power up vice city and just fuck around like sometimes you do the story sometimes you just drive around killing shit sometimes you just drive around listening to the music like it, it was like sometimes the you just put in cheat codes and use a tank and destroy everything in your path yeah I is, is this what eighth grade boys were doing instead of playing animal crossing yes oh, i was i had a gamecube and also was playing animal <laughs> no, crossing i know so. i <laughs> Oh, this I'm is what the cool ass. kids were playing. Yeah, right. well, I'm clearly not cool. Shall shall we? Yeah. Uh, June Carter Cash, wife of music legend Johnny Cash and a Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter in her own right, dies from complications after heart valve replacement surgery at 73. I was today years old when she when I learned she wrote my favorite Johnny Cash song, "Ring of Fire." Really? Um, yeah. Have you uh, have you watched the the movie like the the Walk the line. Walk the line. I remember watching it like once, but I don't remember. It's a very about like it. I, yeah. I I mean I I watched it. I remember seeing it in theaters. Um, and like it's it is especially by modern standards, it is definitely a very paint by numbers biopic kind of thing. Oh, like yeah. it is. It's not particularly groundbreaking in any way. Um, except for the fact that I will say that that Joaquin Phoenix and um, Reese Witherspoon made for a very convincing. Uh, June, nice. Johnny and June Cash, like they, and I think if I remember correctly, I think he's not long either. Like they die, I think within like mm-hmm. a month or two of each other. So we're we're gonna lose Johnny Cash here very shortly after this, mm. which means stay that, tuned for which two means weeks that, from now. that uh, he's um uh he's doing uh the the cover of that Nine Inch Nails song, which he, he basically just stole from Nine Inch Nails. Like he not in not in like any sort of real sense, but like the song is just better associated with him these days mm-hmm. than it is Nine Inch Nails. It's so good. Um 
But yeah, then we go on to X2 takes a second box office crown, easily beating out the new Eddie Murphy comedy, Daddy Daycare, which I thought was the peak of comedy when I was 11. <laughs> it's I got this movie. It's got poop on the ceiling. What's there not to enjoy? I really enjoyed the stupid uh, like vegetable costumes that they're in at one point. Point is, I This is implying I, a level of like retention for that movie that I, I do not possess. Like you just yeah, you could have said any word. You could have been like, "Yeah, the like Hitler Youth reenactment that's in the third act. I would have been like, oh yeah, 100% saw that. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember that from Daddy Daycare. I, I was 100% not asleep. I absolutely love this movie as an 11 year old, and I'm curious to revisit it and see how awful it ages, but I liked it. Anyway, uh, Get Busy by Sean Paul is your new number one song. Daniel, what else was on? Uh, it's, a, it's an evening of uh, season finales, as you might imagine, so we got some supersized episodes tonight. Uh, at 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One in Barbados, parts one and two. Uh, hope they got to shoot that one on location. Uh, and at 9 p.m., Will and Grace with the episode 24, which is where we find out that uh, gay people have just been a CIA psyop uh, conducted by Kiefer Sutherland this entire time. Uh, that was the real gay agenda. Who are you working for? Uh, yeah. So uh, that leads us into uh, tonight's episode. 21.8 million viewers tuning in, directed by Chris Chulock, uh, newly minted show. I don't know if he... I guess, like, does Jack Warman get get laid off immediately after last episode, or is it, like, we'll wait until the season is over to officially declare Chris Chulock the, the head guy going into next season? Because he is directing this episode, doing his 21st out of 43, uh, and the last time we saw him as a director was a Simple Twist of Fate, which I believe is from last season, maybe season before, but I think it's last season. Uh, I'm sure Aaron will tell me. Uh, and written by John Wells doing his uh, 23rd out of 32. And the last time we saw him as a writer was end of last season with On the Beach. And as you might imagine, given the events of this episode, we've got uh, no Weaver, no Pratt, no Corday, no Susan, no Chen, no Gallant, and no Romano this week. It's a bit of a bit of a skeleton crew here for the season finale. What a hard pivot it is. Boy, howdy. And I feel really bad. I said I was going to do my homework before we recorded this and get a little more aware of what the situation was that this was based on because 11-year-old me, of course, has no fucking clue. So apologies, guys. I didn't do my homework for this one, but I will study up before we start season 10. So bear with my ignorance here. Uh, With that being said, we go with our previously on is by Carter, and he is currently on the flight to Africa. He has been traveling since yesterday. Uh, a gentleman on the flight is asking him his plans, and um, he's like, oh, I'm a doctor. I'm headed to um, Kisangani. And the guy goes, a doctor in Kisangani, you will be very busy. So that's nice and ominous for everybody, regardless hey. of if you know this situation over there or not. Um, he gets picked up at the airport to go on a bush plane to get out there with a um, in a cargo full of prosthetic limbs. That bodes well. And then we get a scope for how bad things are from the men driving him to the hospital from there. So you see a lot of the refugees and everything else as they drive along the way. And Not the, great. The uh, gentleman who chats with Carter on the plane, we have seen before, uh, not just in this show, but uh, kind of in general. He's a bit of an oh, hey, it's that guy. Uh, Michael, played by actor Michael Chinyamurindi, who uh, appears in stuff like Congo, Curious George, and George of the Jungle, along with uh, Sweet Baby Jerry. Uh, he's the one who does the gag of like point. Now's where we throw our heads back and laugh. Like (laughs) when the, when I think it's actually Jerry, when Jerry falls off the, uh, the bridge there. 
Um, and uh, he has also appeared in the show before. He appeared in season two as uh, Carrie's uh, long lost boyfriend slash partner, whatever from Love. from Africa, uh, Mulungisi. Uh, and we never get at this gentleman's name in this episode, so it's my head canon that he's the same character. <laughs> and this I is like just it. a weird little uh, Easter egg thing. I like it. Um, but then they arrive at the hospital, and Carter is shocked to see the amount of like triage tents out in the rain with this iconic shot of Carter just staring at the patients because uh, here we go, culture shock number three of the episode out of 500, and we are in with bangs. And we come out of there, uh, Carter's in his cot with a fly on his face, and he's under mosquito netting. People, call me, call me high maintenance, call me what you will. If, 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 if I'm going to a place that requires mosquito netting, I'm simply not going to that place. <laughs> I had like, to use, I had to use it in China, and I was take like, I took malaria meds beforehand, and it was fine. I know, but still, it just seems... The whole thing just seems unsettling to me, just sleeping under like that. It can be a little bit uh, claustrophobic, depending on how like loose the netting is. That's also that's also a thing for me. I I always say I'm not claustrophobic. I think I'm kind of claustrophobic. You're a little bit, a little bit, a little scotch. Yeah. Uh, But a a woman is gonna give Carter a rundown on some common treatments and just kind of give him the lay of the land. So let's listen to that. You must be Dr. Carter. Angelique Chadda, I was just coming to wake you. I'm the on-site NGO physician. You're a medium? <clears throat> you volunteered for an NGO before? Um, no. Is Dr. Kovac here? Still in Mitenda. Charles tells me you don't speak French, so I'll get you someone to translate. Need a coffee? Yeah. Jacques, apportez un café au docteur. Ça va? Now, it's pretty simple here. Fever and a cough is pneumonia. Use cotrimoxazole. Fever and watery diarrhea is cholera, rehydrate, and use doxy. If the patient has a fever without source, assume it's malaria and treat it with Fanzadar. If they have recurrent infections and are wasting away, it's AIDS. So prepare the family for death. What drugs do you have on, on hand? Amoxicillin, doxycycline, Fanzadar, metronidazole, chloramphenicol. Is chloramphenicol? It's cheap. What about the aplastic anemia? 75% of the children here don't make it to their second birthday. Aplastic anemia is the least of their worries. For IV antibiotics, we have AMP, GENT, and penicillin. Sufoxetin, Unison, Cipro. No. What do you do for resistant bugs? Pray. If you take a med, you should be okay. If you do get a fever, take some Fanzada. Julianne. Oui? Julianne Ronan, meet Dr. Carter. Enchanté. John, hi. Il est American. Il ne parle pas le français. Alors, il faudra que tu traduises. Union. Marie. Je ne vois pas de bug. De toute façon, ça ne t'a jamais dérangé. Je sais seulement exposer ma nouvelle volonté. Julianne's an old hand. She'll get you started in the meeting. Pêche-le de tuer quelqu'un. Je ferai de mon venu. She seems great. Cheers. Where's she from? Lambay, I think. She's been here six years. How many doctors are there? Counting you, four. Peter's our Congolese internist, and he's from Paris. Angelique is a surgeon, and you already met Charles. He handles logistics and supplies. We have 200 patients on six wards and two surgical suites. How many nurses? Uh, five, but the patient's family members do most of the work. <laughs> what? Well, since the nurses back home are always complaining about their patient loads, it's usually about eight. Yeah, but I wouldn't use the conditions here as a positive example of anything. What ward is this? This? This is admitting. Of note, there's like dozens of people yeah. in that. I hate that my brain went, there's dozens of us. 
<laughs> oh yeah, it is. <sighs> it is a bleak visual. I love when she goes. I wouldn't use this as a good example of anything. Right. Yeah. Like, don't. Mm. She's not wrong. She's not. Yeah. She's not wrong at all. Uh, and uh, before I get too far away from it, the uh, first, mm-hmm. first, because remember the second voice we met, we met air quotes towards the end of last episode when she's in the background of of Lucas' whole scene. So we've 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 touched on Jillian uh, or Jillian. I guess you got to use the French pronunciation here. Jillian. Uh, but. Uh, Angelique, the first uh, person we hear from in that clip, uh, who's like the surgeon. Uh, she's mm-hmm. played by actress Pragna Desai, who appears in stuff like Some of All Fears, Flashpoint, and Lost Girl, and she's making her first of three appearances. This little mini arc here. I like her. She's good. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, this... Boy, what a... <laughs> well, I mean, I know it's not... I know it, it, it was telegraphed to some degree that, you know, we they've been dropping dropping breadcrumbs and you know like the, the storyline has been leading in this direction for the the latter third of this season um but this does feel like a, a bit of a pivot like a, a big hard pivot you know into this to and especially to end the season on is an interesting uh interesting choice like a, a, i'm not i'm not mad at it like it, i think they i think they do an excellent job with it as we'll get into um but i just think conceptually it's a bold choice to have the especially when last season's finale was so kind of like season finale ish like it was Mm -hmm. it was a cliffhanger you know it was it was this big dramatic event type thing not that this episode isn't dramatic but this is more of a like uh, a concept episode an event Mm -hmm. episode like this is not 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 a mass casualty event even though there are mass casualties like it's it's just it's so much it's a higher concept kind of idea than what you normally come to expect from it's a season finale kind of like grim i'm gonna use this but it's a spectacle event like right it's just the sheer volume and culture shock and then yeah like you said what we get into towards the end of the episode i think it's just in and of itself with the scene change with what carter's going through with seeing all this through his eyes it's a bit of a spectacle Right. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the criticisms that gets levied at particularly this episode. I mean, obviously we talked yeah. we we touched on this at the end of last week's episode that the Africa episodes in kind of writ large are kind of divisive. People really love them or really hate them. Um but I think one of the the criticisms that gets levied at this episode in particular is that it is kind of a quote-unquote spectacle episode in that it's not really offering any solutions and it's not really doing any it's not because like the ones that they're going to do later on in 2006 ish five six are more strictly focused on like there's a genocide happening and america's not paying attention Mm -hmm. this is obviously the fallout of like civil war and like you know um uh, uh upheaval that all the fallout from that um but it like it is sort of just kind of like showing it to you and just going like yeah this kind of sucks not that i really expect them to solve anything you know it's it is at the end of the day still just a a, an american television show it's it's very limited in its influence um but i guess that is you know it's worth mentioning that that that's one of the criticisms of this episode is that it does sort of treat the tragedy unfolding in front of them as mere set dressing and does trauma porn uh, exactly thank you like it, it treats it as a little bit of trauma porn um 
ultimately, I think they they do a good job of reining it in, at least in this episode, mm-hmm. of of not letting their their uh, worse impulses carry carry them away and and really go for the trauma porn. Um, but there is some of that to this that needs to be acknowledged. Fair. With that being said, yeah. So uh, we see Carter working with his first patient, a girl with malaria. And not no bed, no, you know, no, this is as far removed from county as he could possibly get. Just meds and, you know, simple malaria is the, the diagnosis. Like everything is everything is in the broadest possible uh, strokes here. Like they don't have time or the resources to sit there and like go through each micro diagnosis. And like everything is just like, yep, it's malaria. Boom. On to the next. Um. There's a little boy being brought in with a lar- enlarged bladder and a fever of 101.5. Uh, they're not going to do a catheter. They do a manual compression to alleviate swelling, which I feel like has got to be painful. Um, he's also – so they also don't have the ability to do, like, sophisticated diagnostic tools. They kind of go and with, like, like – blood work and Yeah, blood work and, and urinalysis and stuff. So they kind of just go with these, like – much more primitive kind of signs and so like you know Jillian is like helping him out and she's like lifting up his back and like doing it like there's these there's these specific signs that she's looking for and basically she determines that this boy has polio uh, which throws Carter for an absolute fucking loop that not just this boy but that anybody can still have polio in 2003 it's wild isn't that one of the diseases that they've declared eradicated uh, I believe that along with smallpox was uh, ones that they were like really, really darn close to declaring globally eradicated. And then a uh, bunch of fucking crunchy granola moms were like, but what about autism? And now it's like not 100 percent sure that they haven't that we've completely eradicated those diseases. So oh, thanks. God. Thanks, anti-vaxxers. Had one as a passenger in my Uber yesterday, uh, the other day. It was super, super fun. Gross. Um, anyway, Jillian comes in to check on Carter at lunch. Uh, she's from Montreal. She's only been here 10 days, but she comes back for a month each year. So, been doing this for a little while now. She calls it her penance for the other 11 months. Um, Angelique comes to join them, and they ask what Luca is like at home, and we find out that Luca took an immunization team out to Matenda three days ago, and he should have been back yesterday <laughs> i did like Ruh, the, we we kind of glossed over it but i did like the uh little conversation on the bush plane on the way in where he's like have you talked to luca and he's like you know dark hair like whatever and the guy's like yeah. oh luca all, all the, gir- the girls all the girls like luca like, it's very it's very good line read from that guy and i also just love how many times carter's like do you know Luca? And everybody just kind of dances around it at first. Like, this is the first time he gets a straight answer about what might be going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we go over. He is examining a young man who has had a fever for a week. Looks like pneumonia. Okay. This is the most heartbreaking part of the whole goddamn episode. There's an older gentleman sitting with his wife. He brought her in because she was doing really poorly and he didn't, like, know what to do. He had nowhere to go. She died waiting because she's had AIDS for months and he just didn't know what to do or where to go with her. So this is this threw me back to I think it's that season one episode with the old man watching his wife pass. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, God, I'm going to cry again. Like the one where he takes all of her pills afterwards. No, 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 no. Not that one. Just where he like sings to her as she's passing or just holds her hand and 
tells tells her how much he loves her. It's just absolute tragedy, and there's no other way to say it. And again, Carter's absolutely shocked because, like, at this level, something like this. I mean, we see people die in chairs once in a while because law. That's just silly and ridiculous in ER. But right. like to see this level of negligence is the wrong word i'm trying to think of the right word for this Uh, Um, i just think like that's the lack of resource and everything just the lack of resources and just like i guess sort of the the level of normalcy that that's that that death has achieved here that like it's it's seen as something somewhat routine yes thank you that's that's the word i needed is not negligence but the level of normalcy and routine there is to this that when he tells, I think, Jillian or the nurse that he's working with, just like, hey, um, this woman is deceased. They're like, all right, yep, we, we got it. Like, they yeah. don't even bat They're an eye. unfazed, yeah. It's just... It, it Honestly, like, one of the things I think that is so effective about this episode, and it's really, I think it's truly effective because of how not this he has been the whole season. Mm-hmm. This episode is such a return to form of Carter as the audience surrogate. Yes. Like this this season has been the farthest removed from that role he has been in the entire show. And they managed to yank you back to center in this episode where you are experiencing every second of this episode through his eyeballs and feeling the exact same emotions that he is. And we're away from all the stuff that has made us forget why we love Carter. We're not with Abby. We're not with any of the other, like, jaded family stuff. We're just back to, oh, yeah, Carter is a really caring physician. And, like, yeah, he's got privilege and holy shit, this is a culture shock. Right. Oh, my God. But also just, like, oh, yeah, this is this is one of the largest hearted physicians we've ever met. And this is why we love Carter in season one. Right. And, I, like, and I, it, you're right. It's an absolutely good throwback. And, and a, it's a big part of that is is that he has been placed in an environment and a situation where all of his like all of the stuff that has kind of corrupted him over the last few seasons, like his selfishness in his personal relationships and his sort of like cavalier attitudes and his uh, his sort of in impulse to try to solve every problem with money like all uh-huh. he's he's in a situation and in a place where none of that stuff is going to help him none of it fucking matters none of it fucking matters and so he has no other choice but to like go back to the back to what brought him you know there and it's such a i, I love i mean I, I conceptually am a fan of the africa episodes but like i am also a fan of it from the standpoint of just where it puts us in the timeline that we're we're, mm-hmm. We are at kind of the darkest before the dawn period mm-hmm. with Carter. Like, we have weathered the absolute worst of Carter, and it's only going to improve from here until he kind of achieves his final form right before he leaves the show in season 11. So I'm, like, really excited about that because it has – it's not like we sit here and enjoy shitting on Carter for the last, you know, two seasons. I'm, yeah, plus. I'm ready to love him again. I'm ready to, like, move on and, and like – have him kind of shed this fuckboy skin and like let's let's get him back to you know a more enjoyable version of the character i mean i don't uh, know about you i've enjoyed it i know you have lizzie that's fine <laughs> lizzie but... lizzie enjoys a great many things that most people find unpalatable <laughs> wing commander being chief among them <laughs> hey oh 
I'll have you know, I was looking for that DVD at Half Price Books, and they didn't have it, and I was very sad. That's because that's because but, half price is far too high. But she did get me the compilated version of the Green Mile, so I can donate my little novella ones and take up less space on our bookshelf. So that was victorious. Anyway, uh, I finally got Titanic on Blu-ray as well. Ha ha. Yes, so I can continue living in 1997. Everybody's happy. Um, but moving on, Carter is now walking the hospital and checking on several patients. And it's very sweet. He's talking to one of the little... He's talking to the mother of one of the little girls or a nurse or something. And he says, I need her to be brave like I know she is. Again, we see Carter great with kids. We see just him doing the footwork, actually being emotionally invested again. That's the other thing. I feel like this is the first time he's been emotionally, like, dug in in a while. Like, in a right. true way. Um... The power goes out because the uh, the Mai Mai cut it every couple of weeks. And as that's going on, they're talking. And Carter goes, oh, no insurance forms, no triple charting. This is great. And Jillian goes, no healthcare system either, fuckwad. Like, again, stop comparing this. This is an awful, this is an awful situation, Carter. Stop making light of it. Um, but then Luca's back. He rolls up with a with several injured boys here with gunshot wounds. One of them has a wound through the thigh. Uh, Carter's first trauma without electricity, and he has to use uh, and no sterile water from the tap. They have to get you know the boiled water that's been sitting around. Um, one of the one of the boys is someone's brother who's okay. He's in um, camouflage like fatigues, and he says a bee flew into his brother and he fell down. Yeah, okay. Um, and a, the bullet came through this boy's armpit. It ended up in his leg, shattering his femur. Which, what in the physics? But, okay. Um, yeah, I want, like, uh, someone like One of the crime shit. scene things yeah. with, like, the red... Not red tape, but the red yarn going through and... Just something. I, I need that... Mythbusters? That, that's, yeah, I need Mythbusters just to try that on one of their little gel mold people. Yes, and just and just blow my mind. But yeah, they they, they mentioned that the uh, rifle that was used, you know, can do damage half a mile away, mm. so up close, like it's gonna shatter stuff. But um, Angelique has to pick between which of the three injured boys to save with only four hours on the generator. Is it two or three injured boys? It was kind of hard to tell with how back and forth they were going. I know it's at least two. Yeah, I don't, I honestly couldn't tell you. Like it, it's, it's so chaotic. It's and th that's the other thing about this episode. Like this episode is dark, like mm -hmm. both in terms of tone and like lighting lighting like the, the lighting in this episode is extremely poor on purpose like it's not that they did a bad job it's just like it it is intended to kind of put you in that in the in the place like the the lighting is bad they they managed to really get across that it's fucking hot and miserable like oh. everyone everyone looks really sweaty sticky. and sticky and they look like they smell. And, like, I'm talking about, you know, the doctors, the nurses. Like, they, everybody looks like they haven't showered in several days, which they probably haven't. Um, and <sighs> so, like, as a result, this episode is really difficult to follow some of the action that is happening from scene to scene. Because it's so dark. It's so compressed. Like, it's just, it's it's not easy to follow. Yeah. 
But so either way, she's she's got a choice to make because they're unlimited generator time. And again, Carter's in shock, and he offers to donate blood to help one of the boys who's not going in surgery. And Jillian says, you can't save the world. Like, you can't bleed for everybody. Calm down. Which, again, Carter kind of needs because, you know, he's he's doing this with the best intention. But I think having Jillian in this episode really helps kind of steer it away from the white savior vibe a little bit. Because if it was just Carter acting on his own impulses... Mm-hmm. um. I feel like we would get much more of kind of the Doug White knighting in earlier in the series. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. She does. Where she does balance it out a little bit. Yeah, but we then see Luca and Angelique finishing up on the first boy, and they manage to get a pulse back into his leg. So yay! At least one of them's okay. Uh, and this is well, the boy. This is the boy whose brother said it was a B, I believe, because yeah. that's going to be important later. Yeah. Well, they start on the other boy with 30 minutes left in the generator, theoretically. Carter's ringing out the lap pads as they have his guts out on the table, and they realize they can't finish this in the time left for them. So they're going to have to staple his ad- ab- they're going to have to staple his abdomen back together because it's faster than sutures. And they, I believe it's Jillian that points out mm-hmm. uh, the boy is oozing from his fingertips and from his gums. He's what does just, that even mean? He's just bleeding he's out. Ble- yeah. He's hemorrhaging internally. But just I don't understand. Okay, some nurse uh, Jen, sure. somebody who's a doc, who's one of our medical staff listeners, ping me and explain this oozing to me because I don't get physically how that happens. So if I had to just, guess, and this is a complete guess, but if I had to guess, I would say it's probably coming from the nail beds. Like it's probably that's in, yeah, probably, and like the gums. The gums, the gums makes a lot more sense to me because you know gums have a lot of like blood flow to them. But it, if you're talking about fingertips, like. Without a, a laceration, I would just have to assume yeah. it's coming from the nail beds. Yeah, especially if you're losing clotting factor from, you know, all the blood you're losing. But anyway, medically inclined listeners, uh, ping me on Facebook or something or Discord because I need this explained to me. Because, ugh. Anyway, uh, Carter grabs the kid's heart and starts internal compressions, but they just tell Carter just to, just, bro, he's gone. Right. Like, this say- kid is this kid is dead. Just Save. let him. Sorry. Let him go. Save your energy for someone who can be helped. Exactly. <sighs> where's Jerry? What's that heart right? What's, what's Jerry up to right now? Like, where's that? <laughs> Give me that totally inappropriate subplot. Uh, we need him and Frank fighting over like a Seven Eleven pizza right. or something. I just pictured them playing like with action figures <laughs> or something at Admin. We get a uh, a very well framed shot of Luca smoking a cigarette when uh, Carter enters the room to chat with him. Uh, that's the other thing that this episode brings us, gang. It's the it's the genesis of the uh, mildly homoerotic uh, Carter and Luca bromance. I, I'm but, sorry. Did you say mildly? Well, uh, I, I guess violently <laughs> homoerotic. The the, uh, the pool table shot would like a word with you, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> just do a just do an immediate Family Guy cutaway to the uh, the pool table shot. Um, mm. Find out Luca is going back to the clinic out in Matanda tomorrow for patients that couldn't be moved. Uh, he's not sure how much longer he's going to stay, kind of in Africa in general. And Jillian uh, gives him a very professional welcome back, uh, and you can tell there's kind of some tension there. Um, <laughs> And she brings Carter over some vodka and Pepsi, which, boy, howdy, that's a... You know what? You drink what you got. That's a drink, let me tell you. Welcome to college, Carter. 
and Ugh. she uh, very tense tense moments between the three of them and then she says I'm going to bed and I hope someone will join me uh, and then there's a little little discussion here between uh, Carter and Luca about he asks how Abby is doing and then goes off to join uh, Gillian and I love his little like giggle and smirk as he goes off like all right good night bye yeah how do we uh, how do we feel about Gillian as sort of uh, an Abby avatar in this like she's sort of the French Abby stand in in this whole story like I don't know just like I think it's fine like because obviously you can't obviously there was no no storyline reason why you need, would have Abby tag along in this in this I don't know if adventure. I I don't know if I really considered her that at all. So, like, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't mind, I guess, they, conceptually, but that's not at all how I. No, no, no. and I, what, I, what I, I don't mean it in the sense of like, it's a one-to-one thing. I just mean that right. they fit. They physically have this, uh, this woman in between that who they tease is sort of like an in-between thing between Luca and Carter that they immediately veer away from like they immediately are like no actually no we're not going to do that we're not going to do the the will they won't they think because we're doing that at home like we've been doing that back in chicago this is a different story but kind of the spirit of the character i think is very abby-esque like she has her own vices she has her own um little feisty she has her own kind of principles she has her own like she is very very much strong-willed and very much her own person in the same way that abby is and i think that she brings a lot of I think the character of Jillian brings a lot of those same elements to the dynamic here, but mm-hmm. twists it on its head in, in such a way that we're able to move past the kind of petty dick measuring that we've been doing with Carter and Luca yes. for the last season plus and into a much more equal uh, respected place. So I, I just think it's an interesting way to move us forward in that direction. Um like I said, there's no, there was no reason to to have Abby involved in this story at all because you know she it just doesn't make sense. Um, but this is an interesting way to still kind of keep that spirit included in it. I think I don't know. It's just how I how I read it. No, I like that. It wasn't something I would have considered at all. But as always, Daniel, you make an excellent point that I wouldn't have thought of. So thank you. Um. Girl, a couple quick beats here. A girl with malaria from earlier has come back. It has advanced and is not responding to the pills that they gave her. And there's two new doctors that we will see for three seconds. <laughs> uh, Dr. Hope and Dr. O'Brien. Uh, they are Americans fresh off the plane, and we are now 10 days into Carter's trip. I kind of I like how they use this. Oh, go ahead. I just like the name Dr. Hope. Like, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I appreciate how they're both just like, it's fucking hot here. Like, it's absolutely the culture shock that Carter had 10 days in, and now he's going to be the old hat, and I really like that. Yeah. I, um, I like- and Daniel, what would you prefer? What would you prefer for a name, Doctor Gunshot Wound? No, I just would have. I just would have liked Doctor Hope and Doctor Exposition. Like, there's just no like, they're they're you know, like you said, they don't matter. They're they're there for three seconds, but I do like them as sort of a visual reminder that this is not just Carter's story. This is not just Luca's mm-hmm. story. This cycle continues. Like there, there's yeah. always another Carter. There's always another Luca coming off the plane. Like because there's always another yeah. patient to treat. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, you said exposition, and then I'm just, I'm still so mad that it took me until, like, two years ago to understand the joke with Basil <laughs> Exposition's name and Austin Powers. It still makes me so mad. Uh, anyway, uh, Angelique asks Carter if he wants to go put an immunization team together, but he'll need to find a nurse to join, and of course he brings Jillian along. They're headed out to Matenda, and as they're going, we are greeted with the horrific sight of rows and rows of dead bodies and mass graves, which I was amazed they got away with showing this, honestly. Like, they do not shy away from that at all. That, that 10 o'clock time slot, baby. I'm just saying, like, we, we see a lot of gore and stuff, but this was a whole other level of just the sheer volume and it's, destruction it's, of it's it. It's the 10 o'clock time slot, and then also, too, like, as I was doing, you know, my my prep for next week for the for the season wrap up you know the uh, for the second straight season i think which you know obviously as we get deeper into the show this is going to happen more and more but for the second straight season the show gets completely shut out at both the emmys and the golden globes and if you go and you look at you know when when we would talk about the show getting kind of unjustly glossed over in the past it was shows like the practice and like, you know, judging Amy and like shit that like has no cultural staying power and like no one gives a fuck about 30 seconds after it's off the air. Um, but now when we get to this point in the timeline, when you look at the those award shows and you look at the shows that are winning major awards every season, it's the Sopranos and mm-hmm. it's, you know, the um Six feet under, like the HBO Renaissance is as is in full gear by this point and is a, a machine right. unto itself, and so like Getting... I do feel like there was a little bit of uh, an event kind of, for lack of a better word, I know it's I know it's not the same because it's not movies, but it's a little bit Oscar baity in a way, like it's a little bit of yeah. them going like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of shine a light on this tragedy here, but also maybe score some points for ourselves come award season prestige bait yeah a little little bit of prestige bait in there you know so you know but it is still a very powerful visual and it's still like it hits you like it hits you really fucking hard especially when it's followed by you know you see the refugee camps and i believe it's charles who's talking about how he grew up here and how it used to be beautiful and he just says everyone fights everyone now Mm. and uh, luca is there to greet them at the clinic and there is everyone in line for their vaccines. And then this was one of my uh, one of my favorite little pieces, little bright spot, is Carter and Luca giving immunizations and everyone is giggling at how bad Carter's French is. He's trying really hard to learn how to say, like, it's something, something, my little bird or mm-hmm. whatever, and he keeps fucking it up and all the kids giggle at him every time. And it's, it's just, it's such a nice human moment in all of this, especially because Luca's like... <laughs> fucking loser why can't you speak french not really but just right yeah he's just like lol carter but um then a little boy is brought to the front with a cough he's had for the past two weeks he has pertussis and they're going to give him meds to maybe help but again this is another one that i believe um our vaccines are like the ones we get right before school mostly takes care of i feel like this is i mean it it is definitely i think it it still i mean pertussis is essentially it's whooping cough you know thank you yep and it's um it's not eradicated but it's it is definitely much less of a problem nowadays yeah let's put it i know it's just definitely one of our standard children's things now so that was another culture shock where he's like god polio 
pertussis. Like, what else is he going to end up seeing? Yeah. Um, let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, there's some gunshots off in the distance, but everyone's just kind of kind of resting right now. That sounds close. Yeah, a mile, maybe two. Pertussis. They don't have anything stronger than a moxicillin. Can you tell that boy's father we can save him? Can. Whooping cough's gonna eat that amoxicillin for lunch. He's gonna die. Die from a disease that we could wipe out with a $10 course of erythromycin. We vaccinated 200 children today. When was the last time you saved 200 lives in one afternoon? Huh? It's all about the context, Carter. Come on. <laughs> nuance in my er in this economy it's more with likely my carter no i uh no never i can't believe i glossed over it too earlier but uh the I, that scene between him and luca and jillian uh, when they're they're all sitting around the table um that little double take that carter does when she pushes the pepsi and vodka in his direction uh he does this little double take at the glass of like i'm not supposed to have that and like, <laughs> like he does a little like, is this okay? Like, and he kind of looks at Luca for a second. Like he kind of like thinks about it. And I don't remember if we ever actually see him like drink from it or not. But it's it was I thought it was an interesting little. He does like yeah. He kind of swirls it a little I, bit. But I can't remember if we ever actually see him drink it. Yeah, I know at the very end of that scene, I know I remember him swirling it and kind of like sniffing it. But I don't remember if he actually takes a drink. You're right. Yeah, but it's just again, it's another little like character through line thing but also i think a little bit of a growth thing as well like because like Mm -hmm. under those same kind of stressful conditions i think even six months or a year ago in this character's timeline i feel like you would have probably seen him much quicker be like hell yeah i'll take a drink or hell yeah i'll take pills or whatever like because he's he would have been feeling that stress so intensely that like he's grown some it's definitely also a nice reminder that he is still a recovering addict, no matter how far away they put that storyline. Mm-hmm. Like, this is still very much a part of his journey. Yeah, and I like that they didn't forget about that. Like, they didn't they didn't need to, like, do a prolonged thing of him being like, oh, sorry, nope, can't have that. I'm an addict. I get Like, they didn't need to do, like, all of that. But just him doing, like, a, a little quick glance at it and to be like, oh, shit, what do I do? Like, what do I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Like, is this okay? Yeah. Like, I'm away at summer camp. Like, what is? What, what do I do? do? Do the same rules apply? Uh, yeah, just I, I thought that was interesting. I didn't want to, like, let that go without mentioning that. But uh, speaking of Carter, we see him uh, in the middle of the night uh, turning his lamp on to music playing, and everybody is out slow dancing and socializing together. Uh, he is seems genuinely happy to see Luca happy as well you know mm-hmm. dancing with jillian and like just seems to seems to generally be much more at peace than he has been in recent which mm-hmm. again i think kind of you could read into that and say that it, you know if we're using jillian as kind of an abby avatar like i think there might be a little you know there's some symbolism with that as well um then he does this really weird bow where he, I <laughs> he think bows it- at them like i don't i don't it's like okay i I don't know. I get it. I think I think it's cute. I think it's kind of like if it if it had been allowed to continue from that, it could have been him bowing and then walking over to cut in. 
or like just doing a goofy little white dude like bow just to be silly like that's that's something that i'm like yeah it looks a little ridiculous but i could see myself doing something just as weird so yeah yeah so uh but right as he after he bows uh some bombs immediately go off behind him and it's fucking terrifying like it is is it's like that what is it subreddit called like abrupt chaos like it is like just like you go from like this totally normal happy moment to just like intense chaos um and so there's all this like smoke everybody hits the deck and like there's all this like smoke and and stuff behind them this woman comes running out through the fog and smoke screaming their daughter's foot has been blown off at the ankle uh, we, there's still sounds of bombs going off in the background. Uh, they're trying to work on her, but they only have lidocaine and no surgical equipment. Uh, Luca screams for them to get the mo- mother away. Uh, and the one, uh, is it the, um, the gu- this is the girl. The gu- yeah. She passes out from, from the pain and, uh, Charles screams that they need to evacuate the patients. And Luca refuses to go until they get this girl's leg amputated with moist dressing. And then they can clean her up on the move. Blah. And they've got to flee from all the bombing and gunfire. And they take shelter near some, some large trees. And Carter is, uh, as you might imagine, pissing his fucking pants. And uh, we get uh, a, a nice little bit of some licensed music in here with Willie Nelson. Um, th- I, re- I really want to highlight the music in this episode just in general. Um, both licensed and unlicensed. Like there's, there's kind of examples of both throughout. Um, and I think for the most part, they handled the music in this episode exceptionally well, pulling the heartstrings, uh, you know, making you feel a lot of feelings, but without doing the X-Files thing of like, (laughs) beating you over the head with the ethnicity of whatever ethnic group they happen to be highlighting that week. Like that mm-hmm. X file going through that most recent watch of X-Files, I became really acutely aware of how much they would do that. And not just with one ethnic group or another. Like if it was if it was an Asian storyline, there'd be lots of pan flutes. Like if there was, mm. you know, if there was it was just like they they would do shit like that. And I have to, like, give them credit for this episode for, like, mostly keeping a lid on it. Like, they they use some really atmospheric music and really, like, it really does mm-hmm. put you in a, a certain place and certain emotions. But they don't do it to a degree where you're like, I can't decide if this is racist or not. You know, like, they Wait, don't... Is this... Yeah. Is- is this an homage or is this racist? Right, shit? like they 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 do a good job with that. So I, ha- I feel like you know the music in this episode. I feel like is a a big big highlight for me. I d- yeah, I didn't notice too much of it aside from like the you know I noticed the Willie Nelson here, but when I go back and rewatch this in four years for fun instead of for the podcast, I will have to pay attention to that a little bit more. I honestly don't even know when I'd go back and rewatch the entire series after we're done with this. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm gonna tell you right now. Because I'm insane. The minute we're done, I'm gonna go back and rewatch for fun. Like I don't get me wrong. I love this show. I love doing this with you guys. But I think after doing it 331 like week by week by week, I'm gonna want to go back and just binge the fuck out of it <laughs> and just power through it just for speed fun. run. 
But why do it for fun when you could do it for profit right now? Patreon.com slash Landtown Podcast. Only took her, only took her nine seasons even, to get a coherent plug in. <laughs> I ain't even mad. All right, Lizzie, take us into the next. Hey, we've managed to stay ad-free this entire time. Thanks to our patrons at <laughs> Patreon.com slash Podcast. Right, now, you're, now you're getting penisy. Let's... <laughs> All right, moving on to our last audio clip here. Uh, Next morning, they're checking Chance's IVs. They're all in the trees, and they're hunkered down. So let's listen in. How's your pulse? Strong. Regular. There's no infection in four days. I'll revise it and turn up the flap. Skin looks good. Should make an IC for a prosthetic. Man, that was impressive. Looked like you did it before. I have. In the beginning, there's always a lot of talk of national pride and patriotic speeches, but after a few weeks, it becomes this. Nothing but death and sadness. These people just want what everyone else wants. Their kids, they have something to eat. You see them grow up laughing, happy. They don't care where the border is or who gets to call themselves president. Just want this to stop. I don't even begin to try to understand the politics here. You're an American, Carter. You believe if people are given the chance to convert to democracy, the world would be a better place. What's the alternative? Military dictatorships? You fight wars from the sky with bombs and missiles, and then your planes land back on the aircraft carrier and the pilots watch true carry on satellite TV. Hey, American soldiers died in Iraq. Yeah, but your children don't starve to death while your men fight. Your women aren't raped. I remember watching the television, reading the newspapers, certain that we had to fight. And then my family was gone. I couldn't remember why it was all so important. What difference did it all make? My children were dead. Okay, I have to get my stupid thing out of the way first. Somebody please get me the 50 cent clip, uh, but but superimpose Drew Carey's face over top of it and be like, what do you say fuck me for? Like, <laughs> Drew Carey out here fucking catching. Uh. That's the host of Price is Right, damn it. And he's out here catching strays. Like... <laughs> Luca, Luca, just out here. What a weird pull in 2003, by the way. But I get it. I also get it. Like, I get it. But what I was going to say is I think everybody, everybody in the U.S. should have to listen to this clip about 80 times until they digest it. Yeah, this is... Because I feel like it's, I feel like it's a lot easier to be super, like, nationalist, gung-ho, pro-war, everything, uh, before you remember that, like Luca said... Most of our wars, by the nature of how big our fucking country is now, it's not going Im- to, like, knock on wood, it's not going to impact the mainland U.S. Right. Pending a ridiculous retaliation from another country via missiles, we're, we're not, right. like, at this point, we're fine. Well, Unless Canada invades, we're, we're fine. And, like, it, it's, it's, it's also worth repeating and worth listening to given you know it's one of those unfortunate times where like fiction and real life are kind of colliding and like 
there's a lot of complicated shit happening on a world stage at the moment and like it's not so easy to just immediately jump to one side or the other like it's a much more nuanced mm-hmm. conversation and there's there is this rush to be like well one side is right one side's wrong you know and like there's and the, and in the midst of all of that chaos there is innocent victims like there are innocent casualties of all of that stuff and i think that's kind of what luca's getting at here mm-hmm. and like the children don't care they're starving right like i i feel like this little monologue by luca here is sort of john wells and chris chulock's sort of like thesis statement for this episode in this episode specifically but also just kind of the africa episodes in general like it's them it's their little pitch elevator pitch to the network of being like no we we have this platform obviously we can't solve this crisis but we can at least use the massive platform that we have to maybe shine a little bit of a light on some of this stuff that is completely uh foreign literally to the viewing audience in america like they're not thinking about these things they're not even considering there's not even it's not even a thought in their brains and so like we can take a small piece of that and kind of drop it in their lap and be like, here, you deal with this now. Like you, you have to at least look at it. You don't have to, you know, clearly like we didn't do that much about it as a country, but like you, you don't, we're not asking you to solve anything, but like we are asking you to at least acknowledge that it's happening. That wars are happening like this in other nations and it is fucking shit. Yeah. See, I'm mostly shutting up this episode because I have, I have nothing a value to really add to what this y'all is, are saying. This is going to be uh, Lizzie through all the Af- Africa episodes. It's, she'll just be here in spirit, chiming into Q and audio clips. But it's mostly going to be Daniel and I talking to each other in circles <laughs> for hours. Um, but for, you were you both have way more nuanced takes than, on it than I do. We love you, sweetie. Go, do you want Do you want to give a spicy take, or do you want to keep going? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Go on. A f- good filter. Uh, then we see the survivors walking through the wreckage, and there are bodies littered all over. Again, horrific. Fucking 10 p.m. slot. We see one is still alive. Um, the food and some supplies were stolen when people went through the camp. And it is a government soldier is the gentleman that survived here. So that's going to that's gonna kind of play in. As we cut to now day 13 in Matenda, uh, the son with pertussis is back. Luca insists they stay with the drugs he's on. Uh, Chance, thankfully, has no sign of infection. So her limb, her leg stump, would you call that? Yes. It's looking yeah. good. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else I mean, you would call yeah, that. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Her wound. Yeah. yeah her wound is her looking limb. good. Surgical site. Yes. Uh, soldier wakes up screaming because he's scared to stay there. Uh, Charles sa- says they want to abandon the clinic until it's safe out here, but Luca won't leave his patients and tells Carter to take Jillian back to the hospital. Jillian is screaming at Luca that she's staying when the Mai Mai pull up in- armed Whoa. in four trucks. And of note, there are lots of child, sh- child soldiers mm-hmm. yes. next into this group. Uh, They pull aside, again, pulling no punches. Uh, They pull aside the soldier and drag him away screaming and just kill him. Uh, Luca has a gun pointed at his head while they are screaming because he's trying to, like, diffuse the situation a little bit. And the young boy, uh, the uh, young boy, the brother of of the boy that Carter tried to save but couldn't, uh, vouches for them and says they're treating both sides. So they are treating 
both government and Mai Mai soldiers. Uh, but they shoot the soldier several times right in front of Carter and Luca before they pull away. And this this recap does not do justice for how no. fucking and like obviously it can't, but for how fucking horrifying this sequence is and like, tense and just because Carter gets a gun pointed in his face, Luca yeah. does too. Like, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use an expression here that does not work, but it's my throat was in my butt. Like I was so <laughs> tense, just like that doesn't the, belong there, Lauren. The, doesn't matter. I was so fucking tense for this whole thing that it was just like you knew they were gonna be okay but just the way everybody performs it is so spot right. on and yeah the the thing that the, the visual that gets me from this scene is carter having the gun pointed to his head and the little like the, cir- the circle on his forehead from, from the, the barrel. barrel it really sticks with you Mm. Like as a visual, it is very powerful, and I have to also give. We haven't really. We'll 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 do it sort of as towards the end of the episode as we wrap up. But like, I haven't really given nearly enough credit to Luca this episode for his performance, mm-hmm. like the performance Gorn Gorn Vishnik, I should say, not not Luca, but like like the performance in this episode is really strong. First of all, I have tremendous hair envy. For him this episode the way he's got the like strand the 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 like the sweaty mm-hmm. strands like god da- mm. dude like just you did you didn't mm. have to go that hard um but you know right or wrong for years now i have been you know calling him croatian Clooney, which you know at times is a very apt comparison and i have also been critical just in general that like there are aspects of the Clooney sort of persona that I didn't think he quite was able to pull off. You know, like he was not as good at the playboy stuff as, as Clooney was. And what I do have to now give him his flowers for is that he, as we, as we see in this episode and as we will see in the upcoming episodes, he pulls off like battered and fucked up Mm -hmm. in a way that Clooney never could believably. Mm -hmm. Like he, have you seen Perfect Storm? He no, pulls kidding, he right, pulls yes. off like haggard and fucked up over the next couple of episodes, on, to the point of like where you're not sure if he's dead or not. That oh. like, <laughs> I just have to really give him credit because like by the end of this episode, I mean you you know obviously he kind of makes a heroic entrance into this episode, bursting in with these wounded children, but even over the course of just this episode, you see him kind of sort of deteriorate where like by the end of this episode he is really tired really stressed like real like the the weight of the last few weeks is really evident in his face and in his body by the end of this episode and it's a testament to Gordon Vishnik's ability and and his you know talent that like goddamn like I just don't think I don't think you could have subbed out Clooney into this this role and have it hit the same way like, I just don't think it would have worked as well. And like you said earlier in the episode, Lord, I think that, like, I think we would have been, and this is no shade to Clooney, I think we would have ended up far deeper into white savior territory because I just don't think he knew how to do it any other way. Like, I just don't know that he would have been believable in the same way that Luke is believable here. So it's... It- like, I think if we took Clooney... 10 years later, he absolutely could have done it. But where he was and where Doug was as a character, I don't have confidence that it would have been able to pull Right, like, because even, even Doug 
towards the end when he's you know doing the 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 storylines that that take him out the door you know he is a much different character than he was in season one and like his his hair is different and his his like just th- there are things about him that are different and i'm trying to take that version of the character which is the most you know well-rounded developed version of that character i'm trying to take that version of that character and put it in this moment and it just doesn't work as well no, it just does it not work as well you can dirty him up all you want but underneath all that dirt and muck he's still fucking george clooney he's still a fucking movie star Whereas here, like, there's a very believable, like, holy shit, this guy's been through some stuff. Like, there is a very believable layer of trauma here that obviously a lot of that foundation has been laid throughout his time on the show with what happened to him in Croatia. But, like, it just goes to another level. I'm just going to say this. Goran Vizhnik is also just really good at looking grimy and disgusting and still pulling it off. Yeah. Like, look at him in Practical Magic yeah. where he's an absolute just dirt yeah. bag. He's got a... Like, he's got a <laughs> he just... He, and by the end of this episode, he has a little bit of, like, the heroin chic going on. Where, like, he's got a, mm, a, he's got a little bit of, like, strung right. out, but, like, still... You still kind of, like, would consider it, even though he probably smells like an outhouse. Like, you... This is for... This is for... <laughs> this is for three people, and one of them definitely isn't Daniel because he hates Lord of the Rings, but this is absolutely his um, Aragorn pushing through the doors of uh, not Helm's Deep. Um, Ohio? Why can't I? Yes, Ohio. Thank you. That's that's the name for uh, Theoden's Hall. That's exactly it. I, I can't think of the actual hall in Rohan where he pushes through, but either way, that's very much Aragorn pushing through the doors all sweaty and gross that everybody like makes memes of. This is his yeah. moment. So... Ohio. <laughs> so, like, if if the scene of of Luca and Carter giving out the vaccines is my like my sweet spot, like it hits me in the right way, like sweet spot favorite scene of the episode of just like it's a mm-hmm. nice little, it's a much needed moment of some mild levity that's immediately undercut by a sick child, but like it's it, it is a sweet moment that I enjoy. This past the scene we just talked about with the shooting and the, the, the my my coming in, like that is definitely like the heart pounding drama scene of the episode of just like, Holy fucking shit. This next scene is like, this is like kind of the, the almost post credit scene. And like kind of the, <laughs> this is the point break scene where like they've, they've clearly achieved this new level of respect for one another. And like they're they're where we have, we have fundamentally changed the nature of the relationship between Luca and Carter from where we were, not just at the, from friends to lovers, not, not just the beginning of this episode or, or the beginning of this season, but just in general, like they're, these two men are, these two people are in a much different place now having gone through what they've gone through together seen some shit right and i i really like this scene here i really do like mm-hmm. and you know so it's them it's luca and jillian saying goodbye before she gets uh gets into the truck to go back to the hospital with carter carter and jillian are kind of getting the fuck out of dodge and luca's insisting on staying and then carter and luca have this exchange where carter asks you know what should i tell weaver and Luca says with that, again, very kind of heroin chic, lots of tight close-ups on that fucking strandy, sweaty hair and, like, looking mm-hmm. real fucked up. He's like, just tell her whatever you want. And he asks, uh, Carter asks, can I tell her that you're coming back? And Luca just kind of, you know, laughs him off and just, yeah, <laughs> just kind of dismisses him. And Carter gets in the Jeep and says, don't do anything stupid, like, get yourself killed, which is essentially the, like, 
the black title card for the end of season nine mm-hmm. that is like Luka Kovac will return kind of thing. Like it's yep, <laughs> that's basically going to carry us right in. I I definitely thought with this next piece, I thought it was going to fade to black right after he walks into the clinic and that was going to be the end of the episode. Yeah. So sorry, Daniel, with that right, being which said. Which takes us, does take us into the, uh, the last few scenes here where we get this very good kind of vague shot of Luca walking back into the clinic with, again, more excellent music cues in the background as he sits with the three remaining patients in the clinic. And then we do a, a tight two shot of Jillian and Carter in the truck and Jillian kind of starting to break down and leaning on Carter, which then eventually fades into... Carter returning to Chicago, getting out of a cab, letting himself into Abby's apartment in the uh, Okay. Uh, if I have if I have yeah. one major criticism of this episode, this. it's it's this. this. I would have this. I would have ended the episode very differently. <laughs> like I would have I would have I think I like so here's what I like about it. Very little. Uh, but <laughs> but here's what I do like about it. Because I do, I, and I, again, I neglected to mention this at the beginning, but I like the progression of scenery and set design as he's being, uh, as yes. he's traveling to Africa. We get the nice, clean, sterile uh, plane to then he's in the, the still, still very nice, but also ultimately f- foreign to him airport. And then he goes to the bush plane and then he goes to that truck. And like, there's just this like progression of like deterioration as he's going. And then in here, we kind of do the reverse where we see him, like he gets into the truck. He's back. Like they, they speed it up a little bit for the sake of time. But then like suddenly he's back in a cab in Chicago and, and it's, you know, he's back in the quote unquote real world. And that's kind of where I would have ended it. Or I would have just leave it. There. Or I would have had him go to his fucking house maybe jesus christ you have yeah, fucking go to weirdo. gamma's and have it be like a culture shock there don't fucking go to abby's i understand why they do but god it's yeah fucking well especially creepy. because of where we left it when he left yeah. for Africa. like they are essentially like, broken up i understand they're thinking oh it's gonna be poetic because they left on this awful note but being in africa makes him realize how much he cares about her and how much he wants to see her because right. he almost died or- like i can totally read into that but at the same time what the right. fuck my or, dude or have him go knock on the door like have him knock on the yeah. door and have her answer because that's the other thing Maura Tierney has no speaking role here she's literally just yeah she's just she's asleep. just a, a meat sack just sitting there for hit for Ugh. his weird fucking emotional baggage I and he he does I this weird Lizzie little petting someone. thing like I just I don't like it. I told Lizzie that if she's ever away and comes back and surprises me like this, I'm fucking hitting her with a right. baseball bat that I don't even have under my bed yet because that's unforgivable even right. though we're essentially mace. married. Immediate like, do immediate not. mace. You tell you tell me you're on the way home, that will be my lovely surprise or you let me sleep and I wake up the next morning and find you sleeping on the couch, but you fucking sit on the edge of my bed at 3 a.m. and I don't expect you to be home? No, you're getting maced. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's uh, no. Petition to rename this podcast, What the Fuck, My Dude, in ER retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a really it. weird way to end what is otherwise, I think, a really excellent, really powerful episode. And, and especially, again, when you consider that this is the season finale. This is the image you're leaving people with Ugh. for the summer. It's going to be three or four months. This is the cl- cliffhanger is is she gonna wake up right or not? last last season's cliffhanger was you know they had fucking smallpox or some shit like it was it, there was a full like 
it, it was it was a completely different tone and here it's i w- honestly i would have left it with that two shot of of jillian crying and leaning her head on his shoulder in the truck like that honestly you don't even need the stuff in the cab like we can we can we can figure it out from there as an audience. I don't think we need it. Just, it leaves such a weird taste in my mouth for the end of this episode. I hate it so don't like much. It. Don't like it. Nope. But as a season finale as a whole, I still think it's an 8 out of 10. Like I think, I think yeah. it's incredibly powerful. I think it's an interesting choice to do it as a season finale rather than as I think, a, I think it might have worked a little better as a penultimate episode mm-hmm. um, just because it's it does feel like kind of a pivot. Like it feels like a really hard pivot. But, but then what would you have done for the finale? I think if they just left this with Luca walking back into the clinic and that sets up great for a cliffhanger right after Carter says, don't get yourself fucking killed. That's fine. That sets us up yeah. well. We get we get to know like what's going on. They could have, no, here's what they could have done. They could have done this last episode and then finale, they could have done Romano getting his arm removed and all this stuff we had go on in the ER proper and then we're we come back and we go okay what's going on with romano how's he's adjusting what's going on in africa or like is luca okay like there's a way to do mm. this where we kind of yeah. but yeah if if we since we're hanging on this one we should have ended it with luca going back into the clinic after saying don't get yourself killed right or you know like or having I don't know, like having luca's call from last episode be the cliffhanger like kind of thing like uh, it's just this feels like this feels like so much of a hanging thread that it doesn't to me feel like a cliffhanger. It feels to me, there's a difference between a cliffhanger and a hanging thread. And this feels more like a hanging mm-hmm. thread than a cliffhanger. If that makes sense. Like a cliffhanger, I a cliffhanger it. is like, Oh my God, I can't wait to see what happens next. Like there's Holy shit. What are we going to do? Whereas a hang, a hanging thread is more like, huh? I wonder what they're going to do with that. But like, not in a, not Fair. in a sort of like, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's just, Interesting choice to make this the the season finale. I I don't care. This is the the episode I've cared the most about all fucking season. <laughs> past past like episode maybe two. This is the most pumped I've been for an episode. I think. I've been trying to get my thoughts together on this as you two have been going off on sorry well, well nuanced point. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I've been trying to think. The best thing I can come up with with why I don't like this episode is because as an episode of standalone television, I'd give it a 9 out of 10. As an episode of ER, I'd give it a 6 out of 10. Because it doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong as a season finale. I just don't... I've never liked the Africa episodes. I never have, and I still, after this watch through... It's objectively a good episode of television, it's not a good to me. It's not a good episode of ER. I'm so excited to get to this next season. Oh my god! Like it's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> I just it's such a fucking hard pivot, and especially as a season finale. Yeah, there's just, and that and that uh, is definitely like I said. That's the criticism I will entertain the most is that it it is an objectively strange choice to make this the season finale, despite the fact that, like you said, as a standalone episode, I think it works incredibly well. Um. But it's a weird choice to to do this as a season finale going into a, a next season with no like firm guarantee that they're going to follow up on it. Like there's obviously Luca gets left behind, so there's obviously I think some expectation that we're going to follow up on this, but not like 
not a like implicit like hey by the way to be continued like we're gonna we're gonna it's not like kisangani will be back yeah like it's so in that respect yeah it is it is a little bit strange but i i don't know that i agree that it doesn't work as an episode of er i mean it's still the same characters and i think it would have lessened the emotional impact of the show uh as I, i think part of the i think part of the message of it was the isolation from the world we've known over the past nine years we don't go check in with jerry we don't go check in with susan we don't go check in to see what's going on in in the quote-unquote real world because they are in this place alone like there's they're they're completely removed from everything that feels familiar i think it also helps that um it's a much needed breath of fresh air where it kind of it sets the reset button on Carter. It makes him wake up a little. Mm-hmm. It sets the reset button with Luca. It resets their whole pissing contest. It kind of like um, Wayne's World just goes back and like fixes all the stuff that we as a group have been complaining mm-hmm. about as far as like the weird dynamics with the two of them and Abby. It's going to reset that because everybody has better life perspective. It's going to breathe a little bit more into the show because these characters will come back with new perspectives. So like, I think it has a very important function, but I can also see how a lot of people are like, but this has nothing to do with the ER. Why do I want to watch this? I totally get it. And that's, that's the camp that I land in is. (sighs) It's not Chicago. I I, I can't explain it rationally, but like, I think this could have worked better to my, to me. Mm -hmm. This is my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. And does not reflect the views of this <laughs> podcast as a whole, apparently. Um, is my opinion that A, this should have been the season premiere. I if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna do this, this should have been the season I like premiere. That. I like that. And it also should have been intertwined no. with some stuff from I don't think it should have just been a whole forty five minutes of just I guess Africa. My question with that is how do you intercut it and still have tonally it be consistent with what you're trying to do? Because it's kind of hard. Like, Lizzie, I think, A, I agree with you. I think season premiere would have been a great way to do it. And I, you're right. It would have been nice to have some ER stuff in there. But with how much I don't trust some of these writers, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how we would have gone from mass graves to Jerry and Frank fighting over an action figure. Right. That's, that's, that would be. uh, Maybe, sorry. That would be my concern would be there would have to be a lot of trust on the writers in question to make sure they do it well enough that the tone from either end is set appropriately. You see what I did there? All right, sorry, Lizzie, go ahead. I think there's an interesting story to be told there mm-hmm. where you're doing comparison shots. Mm-hmm. Here's what is. Here's what the failures of the whole, or the lack of a healthcare system is in Kisangani. Here's what the lack of... Here's what here's where the failures of the American healthcare system mm-hmm. and sort of like interweave. Yeah. You can sort of interweave those mm-hmm. or at least like do like a bookend. Yeah, I think I think devoting the whole 45 minutes to it is what kind of grinds my gears. A have something bit. where it parallels like we have it start with Pratt doing something and then end with him facing us the same thing at the end of his shift loosely related to what carter's dealing with but but see what i worry about like you said lauren and a lot of it comes down to your trust in their ability to write that effectively and with the appropriate amount of so no right r scott gemmel's not allowed in the room (laughs) um 
And I, my concern with doing what you're describing is them drawing some sort of false equivalence between the, the situations and the mm-hmm. circumstances. And I think a big part of the thesis of this episode, whether you agree with it or not, I think a big part of the thesis of this episode is that American problems are largely stupid and of their own creation like is is sort of the thesis of this episode and again like you can you can agree with it or disagree with it but i think that is kind of the message that they're sending here is that americans are a little bit high on their own shit and like are are sitting here arguing about problems that don't matter in the grand scheme of things when in in this other part of the world there is this like base level suffering that is incomprehensible to the average american viewer Mm -hmm. and so like i feel like if you're doing this back and forth tug of war between our usual run-of-the-mill bullshit and what is being depicted in this episode i think you can't in my opinion i don't think they could have done that without doing a disservice to one or the other and Mm -hmm. you know i again i think i think a big part of what makes this episode so effective is that they not only separate these characters from everything that they know and everything that's familiar to them, but they also separate us, the audience, from those things as well. You're not going to get your quick respite thing to go check in on what Susan's up mm-hmm. to. You're not going to get your quick little Romano quips to like cleanse the palate before you go into the next awful trauma. Because that's what those, if you break the show down into its formula, that's what those things are. They're palate cleansers to sort of. Uh, tied you over from one trauma to the next of like this if if it was just this horrible barrage of one shitty terrible thing after another it would just be trauma depression porn and people would get tired of it and so like if you don't have those in this episode you are sort of forced to just like clockwork orange style like pry your eyeballs open and look at this and that's where the criticism comes in of like this is a little bit trauma porny and it is a little bit doesn't offer much in the way of solutions and like it does sort of become more about the white character's journey and all this other shit so like i'm not saying it's without uh it's devoid of any criticism like there's definitely criticisms to be levied at it here but i just still feel like it was a bold choice and i feel like it was ultimately the right choice and the only thing i will agree with is that i do think it probably would have worked better as the season 10 premiere now, what I'm curious about, because, guys, we've we've gone over this. I don't fucking remember anything in this show, apparently. But I'm trying to remember if the later Africa episodes, if they do intercut them at all. Because I will be interested to see, for any that are, to see, Lizzie, if that changes your perspective on how those episodes land compared to the ones where they're solely in Africa. So yeah, we will see. Yeah, I don't see. remember specifically. But either way... Uh, I appreciate your input on this because for some reason I thought you were on board with them and that all three of us were just going to be pro-Africa episodes. So thank you for being brave and sharing your uh, very popular opinion with the rest of the fandom, but the minority opinion on this show. So thank you for being a vocal minority. And I will, one last thing that's, that bugged me about what you're saying, Lauren, I would argue that Luca does not need a character reset because he's already going through this and he's already been effectively communicated of what he's going through Okay, without like showing the trauma porn, without I, showing this, without showing him having, him having a gun to his head. I, I think I, think I was more saying the whole thing resets their right. relationship. And I, and not necessarily Luca as an individual, but thank you for I, pointing I, that I, out. To piggyback on that though, I do think that despite my despite agreeing with the assertion that I think this would work better as the season 10 finale what I think this episode does do is I think it greatly enhances 
the quality, the overall quality of season nine. Like, and Luca's all journey. Of it. Luca's journey, Carter's shittiness, like, uh, just the kind of all of it, I think, you know, because I, I think, again, I think for a large chunk of the season, the kind of the through line has been kind of that, that three, that, that triangle of Luca, Abby, and, and Carter. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the events of this episode and a lot of the things that we see come out of this episode are in service of kind of if you look back on season nine some of the choices and some of the things that we were frustrated by going through it week by week I think feel like a much more satisfying payoff because Mm -hmm. of this episode I think like I think that there's a at least it was leading somewhere meaningful like at least we didn't just waste our time for the last 22 weeks going like I'm so fucking sick of watching Lucas self-destruct I'm so fucking sick of watching Carter be an asshole like at least it led to something meaningful for those characters. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say this. I'm so glad because after we watched this episode, I looked to Lizzie and I was about ready to start talking. And I was like, nope, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save all this because just I'm going to save it on mic. Just mm. and I'm so glad I waited. And I'm so glad I didn't put stuff in our group chat either, because, guys, I think this has been the most amped dialogue we've had about an episode in 22 <laughs> weeks. So Cause like Daniel like, said, it's. There's a lot of there's a lot of love it. It's there's divisive. a lot of hate yeah. it. And yeah. I'm sorry I fall fall into no, you're, more towards the latter category. You're completely but, allowed to have that the, opinion. It's the it's first fine, of like, of an arc. You know, it's the first of it's this is not the only and I think that that's important to keep in mind too that like what if this was the only time they did this? I think that would have been much worse. If this was the only time they yeah, did this absolutely. and then ne- they just said fuck it we're never going back to that again, then I would be like Fuck this episode because it is just trauma. What's por- this white savior? Right, it bullshit. is just trauma porn for the sake of trauma porn, and it's at the expense of people who can't defend themselves. Like the fact but that since it's we a, know they go right, back. It's and, an arc. Oh, uh, with that being said, should we do what the listeners have Hell to say? Yeah. I don't like sure, that. I just brought myself into that. Well, you didn't. You didn't get that a who's film so you had to cue yourself on something. I didn't. You're right. That's true. There really wasn't a spot to have <laughs> who's films or those because I don't think they had working X-ray machines. <laughs> At least no one got added to the shitty kids hey. list this episode. No. So. The shitty kids list was the friends we made along the way. All right. Daniel, also, I have to note, before we start, I scrolled through the notes, and you didn't put Aaron last, and it's really upsetting to me. Gotta, gotta keep so you on your toes. how fucking dare you? Ugh, I noticed it. I looked ahead, so you didn't get me this time. But anyway, Valerie Z says, yay, the Africa episodes are here. I know they took a lot of heat, no pun intended, but I, for one, found them fascinating. I'll be the first one to admit that I am woefully ignorant of what's going on in other parts of the world. The truth is hard to swallow, but it's important that everyone knows the horrifying conditions outside of our own reality. In addition to the geography lesson, the long national nightmare is almost over. I'm not talking about the starvation or violence, of course. I'm referring to the end of Carter and Abby. Carter has begun his journey to the only thing that we will see makes him truly happy and at peace, doing his work in Africa. I'm also looking forward I'm looking forward to liking and respecting his character again. I'm also looking forward to liking Abby for the first time. I never remember what part of the series I go from hating her to loving her, but I know it's soon. The only downfall in all of this, the super awkward bow that Carter makes to Jillian while she's dancing with Luca, that they are going to play over and over again and again in every episode recap till the end of time. What on earth were they thinking? Uh, Brittany L says, I know the Africa episodes are divisive, but I really do enjoy them. 
Even though I was old enough to understand what was happening in the Congo at the time, I don't remember hearing or being taught much about it, so I appreciate the writers making the effort. This episode is ultimately the start of a huge turning point for Carter. I think his experiences abroad made him both more mature as an individual and partner, as well as helping to mold him into the more attentive, compassionate, and respectful doctor he is by season 15. I have similar feelings about Luca's character development from working in the Congo, although he remains brooding and jaded for a little bit longer than Carter does. Uh, I think that of it as a turning point towards a better version of Luca, even if that version does include Sam for far too long. Not last, but certainly not least, at the full-time dad says, For as lackluster as season 9 has been, the last two episodes of the season both rekindle that old ER feeling and introduce much of the world to a global conflict that many in the U.S. knew nothing about in a way that feels more like an ER movie than just about anything we've seen thus far. Kisangani both reaffirms the show's status as a powerful spotlight to issues of national and global significance and pushes the envelope of what is the ER. It's now not just the dingy building we love, it's the people in it and now outside of it on another continent. I know it's not, but you understand. Also, Aaron, I need you to know that Daniel just fist pumped on our (laughs) damn video chat. Um... One of the things I love about the episode is the licensed music choices. The juxtaposition of Willow Weep for Me and the chaotic escape from the Mai Mai's assault, complete with some great camera work on Luca and Carter's faces, was haunting. And the end instrumental, A Prayer for the Soul of Layla, anchored one of the show's greatest head fakes and cliffhangers. You really thought that Carby might just make it. Oh, I also love that because it marks the beginning of the Carvac bromance that is the key component of the next two seasons. Carter and Luca have incredible fraternal chemistry, that's what we'll call it, <laughs> as they discuss the politics of war and democracy, and the scene where Luca calls dibs on Jillian is one of the genuinely funny moments in a very somber episode. Both Luca and Carter do tons of heavy lifting, but Simone-Elise Gerard, Jillian... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm out of it tonight, Uh, quickly becomes a favorite of mine, and not just because she's beautiful. The charisma and flirtatious energy she brings adds a wrinkle to the Luca and Carter dynamic that works. Now, is Kisangani a little white savior-esque? Sure. One criticism I've heard is that the native people feel like glorified set props, but I disagree. The grief the father conveyed when learning his son had polio, the horror of the Congolese soldier that would later be assassinated, and the brother who confirms that Carter indeed tried to to save his brother all add layers of emotional depth to the storyline that are critical. I'm so glad we end this season on a high note. Y'all had just about lost me. Aaron, we know you would have kept listening even if the rest of the show sucked. You love us too much. Uh, And this time, last but certainly not least for real, at Simply Swooning, it feels so dirty to not have that be the full-time dad. Uh, creature of habit. But at Simply Swooning says, Kisangani, this episode, it's hard for me to talk about it without jumping ahead, but I'll try. It's probably the strongest episode of the season. I know some people would give that to chaos theory, but there are no cringe gurney scenes. So Luca and Carter removed from the drama that encircles them at County and get to focus on being doctors and it's fantastic. Although Carter should never, ever bow on a dance floor ever again, I love Jillian and honestly wish they would have kept her for more. In the end, it just makes me want to get to the lost and away from the bleakness that was season nine. Y'all killed it with these responses this week. Way to end us on a high note. Absolutely. 
And here I come to bring it right back down. Woo! All right. <laughs> Let's go. Wow. We've done nine full seasons of this yeah. show, you guys. We can really freak out about it on Saturday with Jake being big hype energy, but holy fucking shit. We have done nine seasons. We went from me being two years old to 11 years old. Mm. And now I'm 80. <laughs> well, no, you are always 80. Yeah. That's Spiritually. Your soul is always 80. Spiritually, you're 80 years old and you're living in 1997. All right. <laughs> yeah, what's your point? But fuck. My, po- my no. point is that this show is that this show has been brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast, where for the low price of only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, season nine, coming your way next week. A freeform monthly bonus show called Lounge. Movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member and character retrospectives. Where we reflect on departed main cast members, which we will be picking up on next season, yep. I believe. No. No. Romano, I mean, coming Sorry. soon. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, we'd also appreciate it if you would, fo- you would follow us on our social media account. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me on Instagram at lobo92345. And I'm on Blue Sky. I think it's that same thing or it's at lobo lobob. I don't know anymore. It's one of the two. You guys know what my screen name looks like at this point. Go find me. I don't know. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I am at randomgamer1. That's J-M-3-R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening so much. Holy shit. After nine full seasons. We love you. Join us next week for the season for the season nine recap, and we will see you then. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.